0: This morning, we're back to our study of Proverbs, and we come to the end of chapter 6. If you have one of the church Bibles, it's on page 498. And in this chapter, I hope to persuade you of a powerful New Year's resolution. This is a resolution that could change your life if you take it to heart. Though sadly, many people will fail to embrace this, even after they've joined the miserable company of those who have wrecked their lives. The resolution I have in mind is simply this. I resolve to recognize sexual immorality for the death trap it is. Now, you must understand first that in this sermon, when I use the term sexual immorality for this morning, I refer only to willful adult choices to engage in sexual activity outside of a biblical marriage commitment. I especially want to clarify that I do not refer to any sort of sexual activity where you were or are the victim of another person's choices. Okay? I'm not talking about things like, like rape as a victim or molestation or sexual abuse or even spousal abuse, which is all too common in churches. I'm talking about willful adult choices to engage in sexual activity outside what God says about marriage. And so with respect to those choices, I urge you to resolve to recognize such immorality for the death trap that it is. That's the resolution I urge for you today. I'd love to wave a magic wand and be able to make every one of your and my foolish and selfish behaviors disappear. But since I can't do that, especially not in a sermon, I'll settle this morning for simply persuading you to call these things what they are. Which, which is not a desire, not a lifestyle, Not a personal choice, but a death trap. The problem is that we tend to think that a little screwing around, a little bit of porn, will make us feel a little bit of heaven on earth. And I would like to show you this morning that heaven is for real and sex ain't it. That's where we're heading this morning. Let me pray for our time in God's Word. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we bow before you and we adore you as the King of heaven and earth. And Lord, your Word speaks to us frankly about some things that often we don't want to talk about. And yet, because of that, we go unequipped and unprepared to address it in our lives. We ask that you would help us soften our hearts and open our eyes that we might see these things that we tend to think of as beautiful and exciting and help us to see them as poisonous and destructive and death-inducing. Help us now this morning By your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing we should see in our text is that there is a way to heaven. There's a way to heaven. Verses 20 through 23 of Proverbs chapter 6. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always, tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you, and when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. Now, I promised to show you the way to heaven. And now that I've read these four verses, perhaps you're wondering what I was talking about because these verses don't say anything about heaven. The thing is, most of us need to forget everything we've ever heard about heaven. Okay? Heaven is not a place of eternal sunshine in the clouds. Where naked babies float around, fluttering their little wings and strumming their little harps. Heaven is not a place with pearly gates or streets of gold. There is such a place described in the book of Revelation, but it's not what we call heaven. The pearly gates and the golden streets describe the new Jerusalem, which comes down From heaven to earth after the present heaven and earth pass away. So what the Bible calls heaven, that is the present heaven, is simply the spiritual realm. It is the place where God's throne room is where his angelic messengers proclaim and praise his glory without ceasing. It's not located anywhere on earth or in the material universe, but it's like another dimension. Okay, When the first Russian cosmonaut returned to earth in the 1960s, and Soviet premier Nikita Khrushchev he completely missed the point when he said Gagarin flew into space, but he didn't see any God there. Cause friends, you can't see heaven. You'll never be able to fly there in a shuttle. The real heaven is somewhat akin to the multiverse. Portrayed in recent Marvel superhero films. You see, the spiritual realm described in the Bible is one area where the truth of reality is even stranger and more interesting than fiction. Heaven is, it's because heaven is accessible to us mortals and a portal to it can be opened by reading a very old book. And obeying what it says. The Bible teaches that God is a spirit. And though he is present everywhere. He nevertheless maintains a throne room. In this spiritual realm. This spiritual dimension. That the Bible calls heaven. And where God is. There is life. And from the place where God rules in his throne room, life emanates. Now, why am I explaining all of this this morning? It is because the book of Proverbs has been teaching us about wisdom. And this book teaches that wisdom comes from God just as life comes from God. And wisdom itself is a journey toward the Lord God and his life. Therefore, I'm simply connecting the dots for us that wisdom is a journey toward heaven, the realm where God reigns supreme. In our text, verse 20 commands us to keep the father's commandments and the mother's Teaching which are recorded in this book. And the reason for that is because in verse 22, they will lead you somewhere. They guard you even while you sleep and they converse with you when you are awake. But where is it that they will lead you? Verse 23 says, It is toward light and life toward light and life. This light and life were described in chapter 2 of Proverbs as the stuff that God stores up waiting for people to ask so he can dole it out to them. It was portrayed in chapter 3 as the unbelievable blessing you get when you find and keep God's Wisdom. In chapter 4, it was described as the sunrise which the wise person approaches step by step and day by day. In chapter 1 of Proverbs, the personified divine wisdom promised that if you turn at her reproof, she would pour out her spirit to you and make her words known to you. In this book of Proverbs, finding wisdom means finding light and life because it means finding God himself. And when you have found God himself, that means you have become a citizen of heaven. As Jesus would later put it, you have been born again from above. The point here in Proverbs chapter 6 is that there is a way to heaven. It involves receiving and keeping the commands of scripture. Verse 20, it involves obeying them so completely that they become a part of who you are on the inside. As verse 21 says, it's as though you have bound them on your heart and tied them about your neck. Now, I need to be clear. This does not mean that you are saved by obeying God's commands. And that's not the case because this passage is spoken to those who are already saved. Verse 20 addresses the entire poem to my son. See, this person has already been rescued from their sin and has been made a child of God and the pathway to heaven has been opened up to this person so that they can have a straight and clear path to ongoing life with God. But to walk that path, they must heed the commands. They have been saved by grace and grace now teaches them to walk in a manner worthy of their call. Now I know this can be challenging to wrap our minds around, but we must understand this distinction and how God's commands work. Because the Bible teaches that the commands of God, the law of God, cannot give life to those who are trying to be righteous on their own apart from God. All the commands can do for those trapped in their sin is to magnify the death of sin. But those same commands are life for those who have already been made righteous by God and with God. And for those who want to enjoy life, their new life with God, the commands are the way to enjoy the light and life of God. God's grace and righteousness will not leave you in your sin. His grace and righteousness will lead you out of your sin and into a new way of living Life, A righteous life, a heaven-born life, and a heaven-bound life. Friends, Jesus Christ is the one who has made such life possible. You see, God, at the very beginning, he could have simply handed every one of us over to our sin, giving us the very things we desire that kill us but he wanted to grow his family. He wanted more sons and daughters. So he sent Jesus to die for us and to snap us away from our sin. And Jesus' resurrection to new life makes possible our journey in new life toward heaven. So if you trust in Jesus, he has given you a new nature that now desires him more than sin, and it enables you to walk in a manner worthy of him according to his commandments. But here's the thing. The next part of the poem, the rest of this chapter, will go on at length about the death and the devastation that comes from sexual sin. So if, if you don't follow Jesus and you act as though sex is heaven, you've, you've actually tapped into one of the deepest mysteries of the universe, which is that we were made for such complete and intimate union with another person and that heaven really is available to you. But you'll never find it in sexual activity, only in Jesus Christ. And, and those who, who do follow Jesus still often walk in sexual immorality. We live often as though Jesus didn't die and rise. And as though we are not new people who have been set free from this. And we willfully choose to live like good old sinners who can do no different. That's why this journey toward the Lord, this trip to heaven, is not something that just happens to you. It is something in which you must participate. See, the commands here are real commands. They're not just hypothetical <laughs> We must keep the commandment and forsake not the teaching. And the commands will lead us and they will converse with us and guide us. But we are still expected to live as though we've been rescued and transformed by the Lord Jesus. So how does this apply? Well, as I mentioned, the next part of the poem is going to address the consequences of sexual immorality in great detail and there are some of you here today who are walking wisely in this area of your life where you are perhaps trusting the lord in your celibacy in your season of life or you're delighting in the intimacy of your marriage in your season of life and i want to encourage you to please keep on keeping on it is worth it Keep walking this journey. You're on the way to light, the light and life of heaven with God. But I imagine that there are others of you who, who wrestle with this sin, perhaps even severely. You have not yet put to death the old nature of sin or put on the new nature of holiness in this area, maybe you love it too much to even want to change it, or, or maybe you've tried to address it and you're overwhelmed by guilt and shame. I, I understand. It, it's, it's not easy. The Lord understands. And this passage that we are looking at right now presents for us what is perhaps the most potent advantage we have to help us put this sin to death and i suspect that most people don't take advantage of this as they ought that advantage is the commandments and the teaching of god the teaching in this book is able to lead you and guide you to light your path and direct you toward the life of christ But I find too often Christians fail to make use of that advantage of God's commands because we don't obey verse 21. We are to bind these words on our hearts. Always. In other words, your best tactic your most effective strategy in the battle against sexual sin is to memorize scripture. Get it in your heart. Now, people often think that they are fighting sexual sin when they join an accountability group or they find an accountability partner. But in my experience in ministry, what that usually means for people is that they keep going in their sin, but they have a designated confessor. Uh, uh, someone to whom they must spill the beans. So they meet with their accountability partner, they confess all the dirty details of what they've done, and then nothing else happens. They're they're reminded of the good news. Jesus loves them. They go on their way with a clean conscience. So they're ready to commit the sin again the following week. And brothers and sisters, this does not work. This is not accountability. If you are serious about wanting this sin to change in your life, then verse 21 commands you to memorize Scripture to assist you in the fight. And I would particularly encourage you to start with Proverbs chapter 5. Memorize the chapter. And once you've memorized that, move on to chapter 6 and memorize this. Get all of these words into your heart. Bind them there always so that you can call upon them at any time and in any place, and they can guide you and converse with you and lead you when you need guidance. I memorized these chapters when I was 20 years old, and I've been reciting them to myself almost weekly ever since. And this is the greatest single weapon I have in my resistance against this sin. You put in the time and the effort to do this, this memorizing in the daytime when you're thinking clearly. And then when the endorphins and the hormones kick in late at night, you can preach to your phone or your computer screen when it tempts you. And you can preach, do not desire her beauty in your heart, nor let her catch you with her eyelids. For on account of a harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread and an adulteress hunts for the precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Or can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is the one who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her will not go unpunished. I preach to my phone and I'm like, it's death. I'm staring at death. It's not worth it. Friends, if you are not willing to invest in memorizing scripture in your time of strength, when you have the presence of mind to think clearly, then you will absolutely have zero natural defenses in your time of weakness and temptation. There will be nothing in your heart to lead you out of death and into heaven. So I urge you to memorize God's word and get it inside you ready to call upon it whenever needed and constantly practice it so you're sharpening your your blade. If you don't walk toward life, your only remaining option is to continue racing headfirst toward death. And that's what the rest of this poem seeks to notify you of. There is a way to heaven, but this ain't it. Here's what the word of God does when it gets inside you and leads you. It exposes the death that lies down the road of sexual sin. Starting at verse 24, the commands of God will preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes for the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread. But a married woman hunts down a precious life. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry. But if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor and his disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse though you multiply gifts. Friends, the main idea in this part of the poem is that illicit sex ain't heaven. Instead of giving you life, all it gives is death. Now, there might be a few times when we know it gives death and we decide that we like that death even better than life with God. Sometimes we're conscious of that and we make that choice anyway. But I think most of the time, we convince ourselves of a lie. I think we are generally of the belief that sexual sin is what will give us life. Isn't that normally why we commit it? We don't do it because we think it will harm us. We do it because we think it will feel good because it will take the edge off of life and it will satisfy and be exciting. And that is why we need God's word bound on our heart to expose the truth. This poem lists 10 reasons to avoid sexual immorality. It gives 10 kinds of death that await you At the end of immorality's path. And it's gory. But are you ready? Number one. In verse 24. Your gullibility will ruin you. Your gullibility will ruin you. You see God's word will preserve you. But those who ignore God's word will fall for a pretty face and a smooth tongue. You see, when you face sexual temptation, you may think that you're looking at a gorgeous and charming princess or a handsome knight in shining armor. But really, what you're looking at is a toothless, evil hag under a spell of illusion. Others can see it for what it is, and you need God's word to pierce the enchantment. Or else your gullibility will ruin you. Number two, verse 25... Your desire will take you captive. Your desire will take you captive. Verse 25, her eyelashes will capture you and you will have let it happen. It was for freedom that Christ has set you free, but immorality seeks to enslave you. Capitulation will become easier and easier. Resistance to it will become more and more difficult because you've been enslaved and it is far better for you to rid your heart of these fantasies while you can, before your desire takes you captive. Number three, verse 26, you'll lose everything. You'll lose everything. Verse 26 says that the cost begins low. It's only a loaf of bread for this prostitute. But the idea is that with diminishing returns, you'll need to give more and more to it until your very life is forfeit. A married woman hunts down a precious life. You see, immorality hooks you while it's cheap. Just a glance here or a touch there. But before you know it, you can't even fall asleep without some release. <laughs> You simply can't keep your hands off, and you'll lose everything in the process. You'll lose everything. Number four, your punishment is inevitable. Your punishment is inevitable. Verses 27 through 29 says that one who touches his neighbor's wife will be burned. I heard a good life lesson about this from Ryan Schreckengast. He told me that if you build a man a fire, he'll be warm for a day. But if you set a man on fire, he'll be warm for the rest of his life. (laughs) You see, we think of sexual immorality like building a warm fire. But really, we have become the fire. Your punishment is inevitable. Number five, you can't repay what you've stolen. You can't repay what you've stolen. Verses 30 and 31 describe a thief. And it tells us that that people will have pity on a poor, hungry person who resorts to theft... And the point is not to justify theft. The point is to condemn sexual immorality. Because people can understand a thief's motives. It makes sense why you would do this, even though we still make the thief repay what was stolen, even sevenfold. However, verse 35 says, How much less will they understand you when they find you out with this sin? A jealous husband or father can never be repaid for the loss of his wife's purity or his daughter's purity. You could pay back the bread that you stole, but you cannot repay someone's purity or innocence. Perhaps you are robbing your present spouse or your future spouse of your best love and attention. Maybe you actually steal someone's innocence. Or perhaps you continue supporting the horrific pornography industry which destroys young women and holds them captive. Friends, please understand, pictures are never harmless. We must not lie to ourselves. What are you stealing from the people in the photos or the videos that you consume? Because you can't repay what you've stolen. That is the death of sexual immorality. Number six. You'll lack sense. Verse 32 says it straight out. He who commits adultery lacks sense. You see, you commit this sin and guess what? There goes wisdom, and along with it, there goes life and peace and satisfaction and joy. Just flush it down the toilet. It makes no sense. You'll lack sense. Number seven, you'll destroy yourself. The end of verse 32, he who does it destroys himself. We do it because it feels good. But like an alcoholic... Who destroys his liver, or a smoker who disregards her lungs, we kill ourselves with good feelings. Sexual sin is all about self gratification, and Jesus said very clearly that whoever loves their life will lose it. Wisdom pierces these good feelings to find the truth that you'll destroy yourself down this path. Number eight, you'll create your own wounds. You'll create your own wounds. Verse 33, he will get wounds. Do you get the idea in this poem that sex ain't heaven? It's like touching a hot stove or picking a scab. Or playing hopscotch on the interstate. You'll hurt for it later. And you'll have brought the hurt on yourself. You'll create your own wounds. Number nine. You'll find dishonor and disgrace. Verse 33. He'll get not only wounds, but also dishonor. And his disgrace will not be wiped away. You see, with this sin, you set yourself up for constant reproach and a bad name. You'll always be known as that guy who ran off with the girl and ruined a good thing. Be it family or ministry or career or whatever. Or you'll be that fine woman known for having trouble with commitment and wrecking others' relationships. You'll find dishonor and disgrace. And number ten you'll lose every time. You'll lose every time. Verse 34 says that sexual immorality rightly infuriates. Jealousy makes a man furious and jealous husbands will not spare on the day of revenge. But, you know, we think... We don't have to worry about that. You know, what if what if my preferred flavor of immorality doesn't involve seducing a married person? Then I don't have to worry about a jealous spouse, right? Wrong. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Remember, friends, that God is the great husband and he has a special place in his heart for those who have no human protectors. Can you watch your back when it comes to him? You'll lose every time. Brothers and sisters, I'm not walking through this list to try to beat anybody up or heap on shame though there are times when we ought to be ashamed of ourselves the lord wants you and me to see that immoral sex ain't the heaven we tend to think it is this is our lot these 10 things are our lot when we turn to this sin When we see an enticing picture, or we feel the temptation to flirt with someone we're not married to, or we're not planning to marry, we tend to think we're gazing at glory, but we're really in the presence of a death trap, and we will never be able to resist it until we can call it what it is. Not glory, but death. Maybe you've already experienced how sexual intimacy can actually wreck a decent relationship. And maybe you already know that pornography does not teach us love. It teaches us the opposite. Pornography has has made our generation not more but less capable of true love and intimacy. And I'm not making this up. In a 2018 article from Psychology Today... Dr. Grant Brenner highlights the direct connection in research between pornography use and, get this, decreased sexual satisfaction, greater loneliness, and increased divorce rates. There's a direct connection. So friends, if you truly love the Lord Jesus Christ and if you truly want to experience the joy and satisfaction he wants you to have, then please understand that sexual immorality is still your fault, but it does not have to be your fate. Jesus died and rose to open the way for you to heaven. Will you walk it? this week? Will you make choices that bring you closer to life with God? Your leaders in this church would be delighted to walk with you in this area if we can be of any assistance to you. And may the Lord grant us the grace and mercy to see this sin for what it is that we might find life in him alone. Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, <clears throat> Lord, we so often want to be deceived. Lord, please pierce the illusion. Show us the evil, toothless hag for what it is. Help us to, f- to flee the fire-breathing dragon that we might find life and intimacy in your arms and in your family. Help us, we pray. We are your beloved children, and we beg you for mercy and for grace to help us in our time of need. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.